If you're part of the Hope Fellowship and you're recognized as a prophet in your church, you're invited to come up during this time too. I felt the Lord was saying that this is for such a time as this for you, for whoever this is for. And, you know, you have been in doubt and you say, you know, I haven't had the 49 perfumes and I haven't been tested for a year and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. But the Lord says, I want to make you a sign and a wonder to men. And people, when they see what I'm going to do in you, they're going to say, well, maybe I can be used too because that's what God wants to do. He wants to take the simple and make them astounding to the few that, that don't feel like they can make it. During worship, I kept hearing the word pardon, and I was like, well, God, what do you want to say about it? And God said, you know, that Jesus was sent to pardon our sins, but when you're pardoned, you don't get to retain your pride. You, <laughs> you admit and you put it on the line and you say, yeah, I did this. And I'm throwing myself on the mercy of God to be pardoned from my sin. Um, what I see is somebody walking and they're trying to see ahead of them, but there's this really thick fog. And you want to see what God has for you in front of you, but you're not allowing God to blow that fog out of the way so you can see the future clearly and what he has for you. The Lord says, won't you come away with me? Won't you let me bring you out of your comfort zone today? Let me make you uncomfortable today. My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Let me make you uncomfortable today. I woke up to hearing last day revival. I heard that three times. Last day revival. Last day revival. And the Lord said, I heard the Lord say, I have an impartation for anybody that would believe me by faith. I have an impartation tonight for anybody that would reach out in faith. Believe him for it. And the Lord says, have you looked at your garments? In a last day revival, have you looked at your garments? Is your dress torn? Is it stale? Do you want it? Do you want a revival, says the Lord? If you want it, you can have it. Come on. And the Lord says that there are those of you who are sitting here right now in fear and doubt. And the Lord says that perfect love will cast out that fear. Those that are coming against you, love them, says the Lord. Those that are abusing you, love them, says the Lord. 
Those that are stealing from you, give to them and love them, says the Lord. That perfect love will cast out any fear and doubt that you have. I feel the Lord saying that quit looking for what you think is going to be this revival. Quit looking on the outside at where things are happening in other churches because this is not going to be something you're going to be able to put a label on or recognize or put in a little box or formulate in a way that anybody else is doing it. But this is going to be something totally new and totally different. And be careful that you don't miss what God's doing. The Lord says in the scripture of he will take away our griefs and our sorrows. There are things that have been done to you, and that has to be forgiven. You have to forgive it. Jesus said in the Lord's prayer, when he said it, he said, when you forgive others, if, if you do that, then the Lord will forgive, the Father will forgive you. But there is a condition on that. But griefs and sorrows, there are things done to you, and it brings offense and hurt and bitterness and anger. And then there are things you do to others. He said lots of times we concentrate on what's been done to us, but not what we've done. He says, I want to forgive both. I want you to forgive, and I want to forgive. I want a clean slate. I want you to cleanse your altar. I hear a warning. I hear the Lord say, take up your guard. Take up your guard. He said, families have become lax. And he said, the enemy is looking for a place, a place that he can go. And the Lord says, take your post seriously. Take it seriously. He says, man up. Man up and take your post, says the Lord. There's some here. And you're embracing, or you've embraced your disappointments. And the Lord says, I am not a God of disappointment. I am the God of divine appointment. And it is time for you to embrace the divine appointment that I have given you. And cast, it's up to you to cast the, or the disappointment down. And take up the divine appointment that I've called you to. The Lord says, and we were singing the song, Breakthrough. You were standing there and you were naming all the reasons why you should not get a breakthrough. And the Lord says, that is the accuser of the brethren. That is not my voice. That is the accuser of the brethren. And I tell you today that you can have what I say you can have. You are who I say you are, says the Lord. The Lord says it's time to arise, 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 and walk in the authority that I've called you to walk in. Mm, it's time for you to rise up and take your place, says the Lord. It's time to stop murmuring and complaining and thinking of all the reasons why things are the way they are. I called you to be an agent of change, and I'm calling you today to rise up. You are revival. Stop waiting on revival. The Lord says you are revival. Be revival today in the land. Be revival in your land that I've called you to. I said I would give you every piece of land that your foot trods on, and the Lord says begin to step my way, says the Lord, and I will give you that land. Uh, I have two, but first is for the body. Uh, this morning I was riding down the road and I heard the Lord speak to me about uh, just uh, everyone in regards to uh, finances. And some of us are saying, well, we're tithers, Lord. We're, we're, we're doing this. We're in covenant with you. And I don't see the, 
the increase that you promised. And I heard the Lord say to me, he said, son, the most dangerous thing that I can do is bless someone who isn't ready for it. And I just heard the Lord say, under this wineskin of, of um, lack that has been in your life, the Lord tonight is undoing it because he's, he's wanting to bless you so that you can walk and handle it and so that it, it, that it doesn't, uh, when he blesses you, it doesn't take you away from him. It brings you to him. And I just really sense a shift tonight that the Lord has given you a new headdress to be able to walk in riches but still be able to glorify the Lord. And so I just want to pray over anyone who might have that wineskin. So, Lord, we just break off this old wineskin of this orphan mentality that takes us away from you when we're blessed. And Lord, we just ask that you would release a new wineskin tonight that would allow us to receive fullness and that that fullness of, of riches and, and, and things that we're asking and believing you for would not take us away from you, but would draw us to you. And I thank you for that tonight. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And then I have a prophetic word for someone individually, uh, Megan uh, uh, Zion's wife, I, I, I heard the Lord speak to me just as I stood up here and, and, and saw you. There's a fire of God being released in you tonight. Um, you have been following the lead of your family. You've been following the lead of everyone else, and, and you're riding on their hunger. But I hear the Lord saying that he's going to touch you in a dramatic way this week and that you're going to be so hungry, your husband's going to be like, what has happened to my wife? Uh, there is a divine, not that you're lacking, but there's a greater measure of hunger being released from heaven for you this, during this conference. And so we just bless you with that in Jesus' name. And we just break off anything that would try to hinder you from walking in that. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, cool. So I just felt like the Lord showed me that a lot of people are overworked and stressed, and it's causing them to focus on certain areas of their soul. Um, but that's kind of causing a desensitization. And I feel like the Lord's saying, pay attention that you don't drift off. There's a focus on your soul that's taking it off of Jesus. And I just feel the Lord inviting you tonight to step into the government of his peace. And so whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Drop it. <laughs> It's not worth it, but allow him to make your heart sensitive tonight and step into his peace. I also felt the Lord say to be very careful what attention you draw to yourself in these days that we're supposed, what's the word, Mac? When you don't want to be noticed. Obscure. You, you want to be obscure and you need to be real careful of what attention you draw to yourself because even though it may feel good to the flesh, it's not going to benefit you in the long run. It's going to make you visible in ways you don't need to be visible. I don't know who all this retained to, but I heard the Father say, you've been standing there and saying, Father, what would you have me to do? He said two things, dot the vision and don't stray away. I, I have a vision of, of the Lord in a house, and I can see a lot of people in the, there's three specific places in the house that he's highlighting to me. One is the living room, one is the kitchen, and one is the bedroom. 
and he said that there are people that are just wanting things from me and they're not wanting me. They just want the kind of things. They haven't really even moved kind of from the foyer, the opening place. But I see that some are breaking bread with him in the kitchen. And they're really partaking. The Lord says they're partaking of me. And he says, if you do not, if you, if you do not come into these places with me, then you'll never come into the intimate place with me. And that's what he's longing for. He's longing for face-to-face, heart-to-heart, breast-to-breast, where he can actually tell you what's important to him. And you be able to handle it. I hear two instructions from the Lord, but it's specific to the son who is hid in the Lord. And I, I heard that so strong today, hid in the glory of the Lord. He said to that son, I'm preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And I saw him come across the table and smash out the teeth of the enemy. And the Lord said, I will prepare a feast of favor for you. And the second thing that I heard the Lord say was to the son who is heading to the altar with the promise. And the struggle is in your heart because you cannot see the ram hidden in the thicket. He said, you will not see the ram until you get rid of plan B. That's good. That's good. Prayer team, please come up to the front. The ISI. Dr. Nelson, come on up, sir. Yeah, yeah you're going to have to go, go, go left a little bit and then pull, go forward a little bit. There you go, because nobody's sitting there. Come on up here, sir. We're going to pray over you right now because... It's a good time to do it. This is our prayer team. Thank you, Father God. Father God, we just lift up Dr. Nelson to you right now in the name of Jesus. We just ask you to break off every distraction and every hindrance in the name of Jesus to him. Just anoint him more and more. Fill him up with your Holy Ghost, Father God, and your strength and your refreshing. We just ask that your truth would pour forth through him, Lord, to us tonight, Lord. We want to hear what you have to say, Father God. I thank you that you give him your boldness, and I just pray that your freedom would be here tonight in the name of Jesus. Who else? I thank you, Father God, that you're giving him peace, peace and clarity that he has your word and that you're going to speak it out through his mouth. He doesn't need to worry. Break fear and I speak peace in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I just thank you, Father, for your fire on this man of God. Lord, I thank you for your vessel here that is willing. Lord, we say anoint him with your anointing of fire, God. Fill him up, God. Overflow in this place tonight. We are hungry for more of you, God. Father God, we just thank you for the anointing that breaks the yoke, God. 
Thank you, Lord, that people are going to be set free tonight through Dr. Nelson, God, using in a mighty way, Father. And we just thank you for his life, God. Thank you for him, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father, I just pray your blessings will overtake him today, Lord Father. I just pray, God, we thank you for the anointing upon him today, Lord Father. I thank you, Lord Father, God, that he is, has been seeking you, Lord Father, and got a word from your throne room, Lord Father. And I, fall, I pray, Father, it will not fall on deaf ears tonight, Father. Give us ears to, say, to, to hear what, what you're saying tonight, Lord Father, in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you for your fire falling in this place yes, tonight. And I thank you, Father God, that those you've called, you've also equipped. Yes, I thank you, Father God, that he is well equipped tonight. Yes, and I thank you, Father God, for uh, ears to hear, yes, minds and hearts to understand your truth tonight, Father. And I thank you that your truth sets your people free in yes, Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. You ready, Doc? Yes, sir, we got a present to give you before you start, sir. I know how much you like Mexican food. <laughs> That's true. And we want you to think about us every time you see this at your house. Muy bien. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> Hold it up so we can get pictures of you. Y'all get some phones out. Take, let them take some pictures. Just stand out over. Come on, stand over here. Yeah. You can hold it down that way. Yes. Yeah, oh, you can hold it up. Oh yeah. So every time, every time you walk by that, and you're headed to the refrigerator or the bathroom. You'll giggle knowing that these crazy rednecks down here in Fort Mitchell, Alabama. I'm going to carry this around with me wherever I go. <laughs> Amen. The only Amen. place I won't take it is on the airplane. Oh, yeah, they won't, yeah. They won't let you do that, sir. Okay, we'll. <laughs> yes, sir. Dr. Nelson's uh, uncle to many in Grandfather and father to many ministers. Uh, God's used him to raise up a lot of ministers. He's used him all over. Uh, he's, he's a blessing to me. I can call him up and ask him what something means in the Hebrew, and he, he knows right off, and it's a blessing to have somebody like that in your life. But uh, he's been in the ministry for a long time, uh, long time. And God's used him as a revivalist all over. And uh, he told me one day he'd break out and they'd go a year without stopping. And so he knows what revival is, but he also knows what's great teaching out of the Hebrew word and the Greek word is. So y'all receive Dr. Ed Nelson. Give him a good hand. Thank you. Is my volume loud enough? All right, let me get a drink of water. Time zone changes. I nearly missed the meeting. It's a pleasure being back here. I was talking to someone on the telephone when, just before Pastor called me to tell me the time zone had changed. Better get over here. And I was talking to um, a church leader, uh, uh, a minister uh, who's been recognized by his fellowship. 
And I was saying, I love to go to Gateway. I go, try to go at least once a year. And if I can get to Gateway, the thing that happens to me there at Gateway is I get refreshed. Uh, I, I preach a lot, and I preach a lot of places, and I give out a lot. But when you come here, it's like you're a sponge. You just start absorbing it. And as I was driving over uh, a moment ago, I was thinking, oh, I hope I have not missed the praise time. That's, what, that's why I come. Um, <laughs> but the praise time is wonderful here. It, it, just, it just moves me. And, and I have always been blessed by the leadership of this congregation. Pastor Mac, you can't. Thank you so much for your hospitality. Every time I've come, it's always uh, goes beyond what would be expected. And thank you so much for that. It is good to see you. I walked in a while ago and I saw all of you sitting here and I said, what expectation. I come with a sense of expectation. Someone was prophesying about the revival of these days, in the, in the days. Well, there is a revival. It's mentioned in Zechariah. It's not my text. But in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 21, 22, 23, is the last day revival, and it tells us what it looks like. And it looks like nothing we've seen before since the first century. And it's well to look there sometime to see what it looks like. Do you, want me, do you have a scripture there? I can probably find it uh, quicker by looking here. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 20, 23. That'll do it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. That is his words. So this is not opinion about the last days. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations, that's the Gentiles, will take firm hold of one Jew. By the hem of his robe, by the little tassel on the robe, the zitzit, and say, let us go with you. Because we have heard that God is with you. And for that reason, and that's a reason alone, wherever I go, and my ministry is primarily among Gentiles, I speak to them, usually one Hebrew word, just a little tug on the tassel, to let you know that revelation is coming in a greater measure than we've ever known before. We're not there yet. But there is a movement in the world that's been taking place now for, let's say, 50 years in which Gentiles are awakening not to the Hebrew language, but to the Hebrew context, the concepts revealed in the Messiah. 
who was Jewish. And there is this last day revival. I remember speaking to this many years ago in the 1990s. And someone was saying, what will it look like? I said, it's obvious, it's right here in Zechariah. But we're not there yet. But there is a hunger that's coming and already is in the lives of many thousands of peoples all over the world saying, we need someone who knows the Hebrew Bible to teach us. And you'll hear more today than I think I've ever heard in my life on television where the evangelists, the TV evangelists are, are quoting a Hebrew word. That's new. And something is happening in these last days. To show you how remarkable it is, last year, a group of Messianic rabbis around the world, a group of them, have one of the rabbis representing them contacted me. And he said, would you go to Jerusalem with us in 2019 for the festival of Pentecost to teach us? Imagine that. They said, you know the word as well as, if not better, than we do as rabbis. That's not to glorify me. But I'm just saying there is an awakening happening. And the Lord, I have my plane tickets. They are paying my way to Jerusalem to speak to them during the day of Pentecost. From Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's a sign. Yes. I should have called you. It's the, high, it's the most expensive time of the year to travel to Jerusalem because of that event. But there's some tugging going on on the zitzit, on the, on the tassel, on the hem, on the fringe of the garment, the outer garment. Something is happening. Now, that's not why I came. But, but I wanted, I, it just quickened my soul. We do know what it looks like. We've been told by God what it looks like. But we're not there yet. But it's going to take more and more of our Gentile pastors and leaders getting in touch with people who know the language and saying, come teach us. And I will tell you the gateway is helping to lead the way in that. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way or not. But how many years have been coming? Three years? 
It's not because of who I am. But there's a, there is, that, that's the prophecy. There is a hunger, a crisp hunger for something different, not just for some different sake, but that is genuine, that is authentic, that is established in the Word of God clearly so. There is in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 the story of Moses' calling. This calling is the calling of a, of, a, of a Jew who was raised by Gentiles who didn't speak the Hebrew language well. His exposure to the Hebrew language came through his sister Miriam and his mother, Zipporah. Not Zipporah. What was her name? Huh? Not Linda. I have a moment here where I just absolutely forgot her name. But she is a wonderful woman. She's the one that tucked him as an infant away and put him on in the in the bulrushes in a, a basket with tar on it to make it float. Incredible woman. Jacobed. Yeah, yeah, you say it in English. Jacobed, right. Or Jacobed. Yeah, right. That was fascinating. But here is a man that cannot speak good Hebrew. And God is calling him to be the deliverer and leader of the Hebrew people. God can do strange things. He can take the weak and cause those who are weak in their natural training, weak in their natural giftings, and he can say, you are going to lead the ones that know how to do it better than you do. That's why God calls oddballs or the strange or the different. A lot of times the people get up there and lead who are not qualified, not according to the standards everybody sets, but there's a difference. And that difference is that God called them. That should be reassuring to every minister of the gospel. And every person is not. Because we don't look at the outward self for our leadership. We have to look beyond the outer self to the inner leading of the Holy Spirit on a person's life to lead us. And so we have the calling. But here's how it took place. 
Now, he is a fugitive. Moses is a fugitive. He has fled. He's had 40 years in Egypt, 40 years out of Egypt as a refugee, as a fugitive. And now 40 years leading the children of Israel in the wilderness. And here, here he is in chapter 3 with, with something wonderful about to take place. And he was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, who happened to be the priest of Midian. And, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. It's the other name for Mount Horeb is the, the other name of that mountain. It's the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord, fascinating statement. Who is the angel of the Lord? Does it say? But there's times you'll see the angel of the Lord and you'll, you'll see that that's a separate being. Then sometimes you'll see the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord is speaking as if he is God. It's one of the fascinating, wonderful things about the scripture that causes wonder to take place. And so this angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now that in itself is remarkable. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord, listen, this is where I want to go to. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when the Lord saw, the Lord's paying attention, he, he, he sees Moses going over to look at the burning bush. And it's there when he decided to go over and look that God called him from within the bush. Not everybody would have seen a burning bush and stopped outside of just saying, hey, a burning bush. I've gone by brush fires and went on. Didn't stop. Somebody's going to tend to it. Somebody's out there trying to rake it down. They've got our hoses trying to put it out. Just drive on by. Because what's happening is it was being consumed. That's not, and a matter of fact, on first look, we are so accustomed to knowing that fire consumes that if we see a burning bush, we just know that bush is doomed. It's burning up. It's being consumed. What is remarkable here is that Moses has an inquisitive mind. And he stops. He peers across at it. And it doesn't appear to be burning the leaves or the branches. It's a brilliant fire. 
No smoke going up of carbon being consumed. Doesn't even mention smoke here, does it? You just see a fire, a bush without smoke, and suddenly that ought to arrest your attention. But an ordinary passerby would have just looked over there and ignored it. And that is the way most people are on the revelation of God in history. He reveals himself to us, but we don't take the time to stop and to look to see if, it's, if the bush is being consumed. And it was not. And the, Moses stops and sees it and goes over there. So I want to tell, give you a precondition. For you to be used of God as he wants to use you. Or let's say another way. For you to use yourself for God. That's better, isn't it? As he would like to see you use yourself. There has to be first, before anything takes place, a sense of wonder. We don't talk about wonder much. Wonder, that amazement, that bewilderment, that puzzle in the eye and the mind, that something is extraordinary, beyond the ordinary. And in Hebrew, the word pele, pala, means something beyond the ordinary. In other words, something that cannot be taken for granted. Something is taking place that cannot be seen by the natural eye and be explained. And, and so wonder is not a gift of the Spirit. It is not something God gives you as a gift. Wonder is not listed among the gifts, nor is it listed among the manifestations of the Spirit. Matter of fact, wonder is not mentioned as the fruit of the Spirit. Wonder precedes fruit. Wonder precedes gifts. Wonder precedes manifestations. And wonder precedes the calling of God. There are people who want to be in the business of God, who do not have a sense of wonder. What they do have is a desire to take what somebody else is enjoying and, and go get a shovel full or a truckload full of whatever they've got. To be involved, to be related, to be touching it, to take from it. In the 16th chapter of Numbers is a story of Korah and his rebellion. I don't know how it reads in your English text, but I'm going to give it to you in English, but I'm going to give it to you as it says it in the Hebrew. And it says that Korah, son of Isar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan, Dathan, and Aviram, sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Pelet. Next word in Hebrew is one word in Hebrew. 
took. Took. Now, you may have a, a bigger explanation in your Bible as to what it says there. It may add words to it. I don't know what your Bible says there in Numbers uh, 16. Because it should say, just say, and Korah took. Did you say took? Everybody says took. No, no other explanation. It is describing his nature. It is describing his modus operandi. He is a person who's used to taking, and he wants what others have that he can apply himself to and enjoy the benefits of what they have. And so Korah wants the authority of Moses and Aaron. Korah wants the stature of Moses and Aaron. Korah wants the priesthood. Korah sees himself equivalent to the priest because he says God has no respect of person. God can choose anybody he wishes and God does not, and he gives all of his gifts and callings and I am in the midst of that and there's no distinction. I, there is no distinction between Moses and Aaron and me. I have the right to take what they've got. You'll see the story repeated in the Bible. You'll see the story, for example, in Acts chapter 8, where there was a man named Simon, Shimon, Simon, who had seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that with the laying on of hands, how the people received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he, he goes to Peter and he says to him, I want what you've got. How much money will it take for me to give to you for me to take what you've got? He's another Korah. You see, if there is not a sense of wonder, there was no wonder about the holy in Korah. There was no wonder about the holy in Shimon, in Simon, the sorcerer. It was magic. It was mysticism. It was about self. It's about placement. It's about role. It's about pride. Participating, partaking, sharing what others have and enjoying it as if you are the person God called. There are people today that are drying up in their congregations. Because ministers are there because somehow it paid a better salary than what they wanted otherwise. I would tell you that would not be in my circle of churches. You can go broke in the circle of churches I'm in. Money is not the object. But there are people, I've had them tell me, I'd like to go in the ministry because I think it's a safe job, a good job. You don't get your hands dirty. Well, don't, you haven't worked with snakes yet. I don't mean physical animals. I don't mean, I'm not into, that, not into that at all. But you haven't worked with people that bite you. As they say, sheep bite. You know? And, and so you, he doesn't understand. I, I, I've, I've agonized 
But by pastoring, I've agonized over every one of my congregation. I've, I've prayed for them. I get up and pray and, and carry them in my heart. And, and I, 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 I talk to the Lord about them. I don't repeat myself again and again to the Lord on them, but I, I, I bring them to Him because He's the good shepherd. But you see, there are those in position who see leading the people of God as privilege rather than responsibility. And what has happened is the vacuum of wonder. They didn't have it. Now, everybody's born with it. It's not a gift. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. You're born with it. So everybody has an equal opportunity to be filled with wonder. I saw a picture just today of a newborn, hair still wet, lying upon the, the, the covered breasts of the mother. And I looked at it, and the photographer caught it. Those little jewel eyes, little black eyes, were not just looking straight, they were looking up at the bottom of her chin in wonder about Mom, this is not speaking yet, not having the language yet, but having the language of the spirit, the human spirit, and in wonder, watching the mother. Now, I used to write a letter to every newborn in the congregation where I serve. When they were born, I sent them a letter in the mail and told the parents to put it in their scrapbook. And I would say to them, Welcome to a world of wonder. Because that's the natural tendency of all young children. I remember my fascination at two and three years old, once I could get my eyes looking properly through the little peephole into this little, little telescope-looking item called a kaleidoscope. And you turn it, you look at the light and you turn it. How many of you remember kaleidoscopes? And did you ever look at it more than once? Yes, why? Because there's a sense of wonder about what you're seeing. It's never the same again. It's changing. And yet, every time it changes, you turn it, there's a new, entirely new wonder, a new appreciation of a, of a fascination of colors and light. We're born with it. We teach our children, don't get on the street when the cars are coming. They'll run over you. So in that safety precautionary way, we teach our children, step back. Don't explore certain things. Don't pick up that snake. But I want to. Matter of fact, sometimes a child will bring the snake to you And feel no danger. And the snake felt no threat. And when we see it, throw that thing down now. Boom. Coils up. And we begin to teach our children, wonder's a good thing, but from a distance. And the process of raising children 
is moving them safely away from firsthand looking at the things they wonder about. We do it with our teenage boys and girls. Don't get too close when you're dating. That, she may look wonderful to you, and he may look wonderful to you, but I will tell you there's trouble brewing. Wait until it's confirmed and affirmed and correctly so through marriage. But wonder is something that when I married, my wonderful wife was wonderful. She still is. I'm still filled with wonder. Yesterday I took her to, to lunch. She doesn't get around very well. and doesn't walk very well. But she's able to get around some, and so I took her to lunch at Cracker Barrel. And just uh, the two of us sitting in there, and, and, and something happened in our discussion, and she started laughing. And she laughed, and she, la and she smiled big, and smiled and laughed. And I looked at her, at her 70, 72 years of age. Or, I looked at her. I didn't say anything to her, but I said, that's wonderful. She still is fascinating. Wonder is what is natural. It's, it's as natural as God's image and likeness. He made us to. Let me show you something in Genesis chapter two, chapter chapter one, actually. In chapter one, in the last passage, God saw all that he had made, six days, and it was very good. Now, that has always puzzled me. Why is the handiwork of God very good to him? But I've realized that's the way I am too, and you are too. When I finish a, a project, no matter what that project is, it can be a project for school, a handwriting. It can be a project with tools. It can be a project of mowing the lawn. But when I, it's all done and the garden is tilled and the plants are blooming and the, and the fresh smell of cut grass is there, and it's been trimmed, there's nothing, and you sit down on the front porch and you look out at what you have done, and you say, that smells good. That's very good. Because even what we do fascinates us. <laughs> and so God himself becomes fascinated with the wonders of who he is. Uh, I look at creation, and I wonder about it. I wonder how he did it. Now, we have the evidence of chapters 1 and 2 uh, of Genesis to give us uh, a very straightforward way of looking at it. But I still wonder. See, I'm fascinated with the Fibonacci numbers. Is there any mathematicians here that know what I'm talking about? Anyone who knows Fibonacci numbers? Right back here. Is it fascinating to you? All right, why is it fascinating to you? Because it has a pattern to it, right? It's an infinite pattern. It starts with a point. 
And it is, you know, the Nautilus, the shell, the Nautilus that spins out and out, finally it ends. But everything in creation that God has made is made with Fibonacci numbers. That amazes me. It's not in Genesis chapter 1 or 2. That's you've mentioned. Fibonacci had not been born yet. But it causes this great sense of awe when you know the sequence of numbers that Fibonacci discovered or put together and arranged in a pattern that goes on for infinity. And what it does, you start at the very center. All shells in the sea have it. In the center, it comes out and begins to spiral out. It gets wider and it gets wider and wider. Now, it's limited to a shell and it ends. But look at that little spiral. And now take the telescope out. Well, you can't really see it that way either because you have to have a time photography on a major telescope to see it. But you have to be able to see deep space. And when you go to deep space and you see another galaxy, what does it look like? It starts at the center and it spins out, spins out, spins out further and further and wider and wider. That's called Fibonacci numbers at work. From the shell to the galaxies. Take a pine cone. Take the point, the tip of the pine cone and start going around and seeing the little pieces of the cone, it goes around and around and around, gets larger and larger. That's Fibonacci numbers. It just spreads out as a cone. Seashells do that. Pineapples, one of my favorite ones. A pineapple starts at the part, it goes out, goes around, goes around and around and around. Same as a galaxy, same as a seashell, a pineapple has it. Matter of fact, your bone structure is built on Fibonacci numbers. The dimension of this digit to here to here goes in exponential growth. Longer from the short to the longer to the arm. And you, and you get to see these numbers at work. Your body is made with Fibonacci numbers. Have you ever noticed that before? No. It should cause wonder. Who designed this? Who, who would have imagined? And the more we discover how, not necessarily how, but, or, or, but we can't do how completely, but the more we learn pieces of the how, the more fascinating it gets. The, and there's so many more things besides Fibonacci numbers. But, but the scientists call Fibonacci numbers the signature of God. Wonder. It is not a gift. It is not a fruit. It's how he made you in his image and likeness. And we've been trained to lose it. But when you read the psalmist, he says, I delight in you for your, the heavens and the earth 
declare your wonders. You see, when you really, and I'm going to go to the, the Hebrew world here. Rabbis, a good rabbi has a deep sense of wonder. When you see a picture of a rabbi who's going about, about to teach, they put behind his head today a screen like this, and they have a picture of the cosmos behind him. And you may say, why is the cosmos there? Why are the constellations there? Why are the spirals of galaxies there behind his head? Why did we put on the screen tonight when we're speaking about the wonders of God, singing about the wonders of God, and the word wonder was in the song, we had the stars uh, moving on their axis. Do you remember that on the screen? I'm looking up there. We're singing the word wonder, and the background is capturing it somehow. somehow. Why? Because that is who we are. When that songwriter was doing that song, and the person putting the video together for that song, there was a sense of trying to capture the wonder of God. Korah didn't have it. Because he had given it away for the purpose of taking from others. Simon, the sorcerer, had it, but he made a counterfeit. He got into sleuth of hand, magic, to trick people. Now, magic, the sleight of hand, will trick people. And cause wonder and provoke wonder. But once you discover the trick, all wonder is gone. But the thing is, God's ways are infinite. Our ways are finite. We cannot know the infinite because we're finite to start with. And the wonder of God must somehow pervade our minds and our hearts when we approach Him and we realize what Moses did when he approached God and came near and looked at that bush, it was not burned up. And God then, because he looked, he gazed at it. He pondered it. He looked beyond what, was, what, what he was seeing through a natural eye to enter into a spiritual relationship of understanding. And then God spoke to him out of it and said, Moses. We can manufacture God speaking to us and say, God said. But I will tell you that the person that God speaks to is that when God speaks is a person of wonder. There's a rabbi named Abraham Joshua Heschel, died in the 1970s. I've read his books. I, I don't, I'm sure I haven't read them all, but I've read his books. One of them, beautiful book, is on the Sabbath. And if you, it's a shorter book. And if you want to read him someday, just order Abraham Joshua Heschel's book on the Sabbath. I, I cite that one because it's smaller. It's easier to read. And he will blow your mind in a small book with short chapters, three pages to a chapter. He'll blow your mind. You know why? And he tells a story. He says, when I was young, I asked God to rekindle wonder in me. And he said, my life pursuit has been to capture 
the sense of wonder about God. And he died. When he died, he penned the wonders of God he never fathomed. Incredible, just a testimony of someone who gave their life to the concept of the wonder of God and said, I never fathomed it. Let me show you something that happens. In Acts chapter 2, when the, when the Holy Spirit was given to the, the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem, at, on that particular Pentecost. It says that those who heard them speaking in tongues said they were amazed and bewildered. It says it twice in that text. They were amazed and bewildered, and yet some said they're drunk. So there's always going to be a person that's lost their wonder. Some are going to find a natural cause for a spiritual happening. And they kill it. Like for them, they do. Because they're looking for a natural cause. Now, there are imitators. There are people, and we just read about this the other day, where a minister in some South American congregation had paid people in his church to profess that they had miracles in their lives. So they'd get up and testify this miracle happened. I had this problem this problem, and they testified, they got paid for it. Let me tell you something. God needs no help. He's wonderful as he is. If he wants to do a miracle, he can do a miracle, but there's no need to try to get people to follow you because that's the same as the spirit of Korah and Simon the sorcerer, you're taking what is not yours and playing a fake gospel with it. God needs no help. But the eye that can see the spiritual, the spiritual world, I don't mean mysticism, I don't mean mantras and, and, and chemicals to stimulate your brain. I'm talking about simply reading the Psalms and finding your delight in the Lord. You need, if, I'll tell you what changed my life when I was 20, 20 years old. I was baptized in the Spirit when I was 17. But something happened and, and it changed my life. Here I am, 74 years of age. And when I was 17, something changed my life. That, that makes me who I am today. But when I was 20 years old, something happened. Three years after that initial outpour, that, that wonderful spiritual outpouring of God's Spirit in me, I, I, I dedicated myself to study. Because I, I believe Acts 2 said they went house to house and they studied the teachings of the apostles. And I... I was probably 17 years old when I told my mother and dad, I want to know what the teachings of the apostles are. And I don't believe we got it right yet. And so I've, I, really I've spent my life looking for that. And I think I have times found it. 
and then I would discover more wonder. But at that age of 20, three years had passed, and I began to feel a deadness. I still prayed. I had the pattern of praying daily, an hour at a time in the evening. But I was drying up. And I'd cry out to God, where are you? What's happened? Where are you what I enjoyed three years ago, two years ago, one year ago? No longer do I sense it. My feelings betray me. I didn't understand it at 20 years of age that that's normal for people to go through. But I thought something spiritually desperate was going on inside me. It was. I'm going to tell you what it did. I would go over at night to what was called a tabernacle. I worked. I went to school in the daytime, worked until 10 o'clock at night. And at 10 o'clock at night, I had to walk about three miles to my dorm. Had no car. Back in those days, you walked. Only the better off had cars. I was not one of them. So I walked at night. And I'd walk through these neighborhoods and down these streets, across these main streets, finally to the school, and I'd go over, tired, to the tabernacle. And there's about two or three students in there, almost every time I'd go, praying. And I went in, and I would seek the face of the Lord. And I had practiced that for a long, long time. But you see, I can get, you can get used to even doing those things. And they no longer have the weight that they once had. I said, Lord, what's wrong? Why can't I? And, and, and I heard a, a, an elderly, an elder minister, not an elderly one, but an elder minister speak on Psalm 119. By the word of God, how much it is a delight, how the Torah is a delight, and the wonders of God. And so I, I, I had nobody tell me to do this. I went over and I said, Lord, if my words fail me, these words won't. And so I read every night to the Lord for months. Psalm 119 at nighttime at 11 o'clock. That became my prayer. I ingested Psalm 119. How wonderful are your ways. And I can't tell you precisely. It was three days length of time. When all of a sudden it seemed like I was walking on air. I was caught up and yet in the flesh, in the body. I went to work. I went to school. I went to work. I still walked, walked that three-mile period. Came back and still went there and prayed that psalm. But I could see Yeshua, Jesus, all through the Bible. Matter of fact, that's where I learned to say at 20 years of age, I see Yeshua. I see Jesus waving at me between the lines of the Bible. Something happened in three days, and the Bible connected to me as a living book, a revelation of the Messiah. It was a burning bush. I could not 
keep my eyes away from it. I would peer into it and I would hear the voice of God. I would see the Messiah speaking as if he were speaking through the, the, between the lines in everything. And it was a flame in my heart. It became a flame in my hand. And the word of God illuminated my mind. And, and I, that's when I started saying, there's a thing called revelation. And the revelation is the testimony of Yeshua, of Jesus. It's not a revelation of how I can do, get, get more success. Not a revelation of how I can do greater things. Not a, not a revelation of how I can have, have and take and take and take. But a revelation of how I can wonder. And I rediscovered wonder. You see, that's what I had lost. I'd lost. I'd been to school. I had gotten into the classrooms. I got into the science classes and the physics classes, and I love mathematics. Got in the math classes, and everything's rationalized. And the more it was rationalized, the less glitter it had, the less glamour it had, the less awe it had, the less wonder it had, and it diminished, and it diminished, and diminished. I didn't know what happened. I just know the more, it wasn't that education's bad for you. It's just that I had not grown spiritually to match my education. Okay? I, I to admonish young people or older, go to school. Get all you can get. Get your doctor's degree. Go, go, go. And get two. <laughs> but let the sense of wonder about God increase to such a level, such a dimension that you are absolutely fascinated with God beyond what you have learned. Because your mind cannot contain the wonders of God. John wrote it this way. If all, if all the books of Yeshua, of Jesus were written, the world could not contain them. Wonder. And it's not a, you don't have to pray for it. You have to rediscover it. You see, from wonder comes a sense of awe. From a sense of awe comes a sense of revelation. From revelation comes a sense of inspiration. And once you have the revelation and the inspiration with a sense of awe, now you can have vision. But if vision precedes wonder, it's temporal. Vision follows the sense of wonder, the sense of awe, of respect and worship of God, the sense of revelation of who He is, and the inspiration that fills you like God breathes in you. That's what inspiration means. God breathes in you. And then when he does that, suddenly the vision comes. It's the vision of Yeshua. The testimony of him. It's the wonder of who he is as you see, you see him through the pages as the, of the Holy Writ. As it begins to read it, there he is. And when you take communion 
and you hold the elements, suddenly he appears, and you can hear the clashing of swords and the driving of nails. You can visualize, because somehow you're there too. The sense of wonder. And after vision comes mission. That's the order of chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus. Moses had a sense of wonder and he stopped to look. He had awe and took his shoes off. He had revelation because God spoke to him out of the bush and inspired him to do something he would never think he could do himself. Matter of fact, you become aware you can't do it. The most natural response to all of this is, here I am, I can't do anything. That's the most natural response. Moses is my buddy. That's how I would respond. Oh, and look at me. And I say, I'm not qualified. Send Aaron. He can speak Hebrew. I can't very well. He says he's slow to speech, not stuttering and stammering lips. Slow to speech of what? The language of the Hebrew people. Because he's called to speak to the Hebrew people. He can only do Pharaoh. He got no problem, no problem with Pharaoh. He speaks Egyptian. But speaking to the Hebrew people, he said, I can't do that. I'm slow of speech. I don't speak Hebrew very well. I'm halting in my Hebrew. Send Aaron. He speaks it fluently. Haven't we made so much of that, other things, than what it is? But then God said, I'm sending you. And bring Aaron with you. Because God will help us overcome our weaknesses. I have to stop speaking to you tonight right at this point because I enjoy what I'm saying. And I can go on and on and on. I absolutely have a sense of awe about it. The wonders of God. I do. But I know that I can't do this forever because you'll get tired. Huh? <laughs> we got other nights to do it. But, but I, if I could say something to you at this point in, in a way of summarizing, rediscover how God made you. Rediscover what you're made to be as a baby and bring it into your adulthood. Let the, let mystery return. Let wonder fill you. I remember my three-year-old, oldest grandson, when he's three years old, we took a picture of him. His face is lit up. He's walking the seashore. He's picked up a shell, and he has this little cute expression, wow. Wow. It's a little seashell. And that it's, we still have the picture, of course, and it's on our wall. 
but his eyes, his face is absolutely lit up. One of those moments of discovery, and that's what God's calling us to tonight. If you want to be a son of thunder, daughter of thunder, you better think about how much awe there is in thunder. You want to be a person that knows the awesomeness of God? Become filled with wonder, childlike. Don't let push the children away. Yeshua said, Jesus said, don't push them away, but bring them to me. Why? Because they are delighted. They're thrilled. They're filled with wonder still. So what do you do when you're 30 years old or you're 50 years old or you're 74 years old as I am? I'm trying to show you a picture that if I, at my age, I may be older than most of you in this room, probably older than anybody, but if I have wonder and it has increased and it dazzles me today about the word of God, and about the wonder of him and the majesty of his ways, of the kingdom that he, he is over. If I am filled with awe, and, and, I, and I know the scriptures as I do, having read them from a child to today, I'm going to tell you that you can too, and you can start at any time you want to by rediscovering the awe. Start seeing the, uh, the wonder of God in people. Paul wrote and said, when you look at somebody, don't see them as the way the world sees them but see them as made in the image and likeness of God. They're, they're, you're, you're, let me just say to you, you're awesome. Really, you're awesome. You're, you're wonderful. And you may not feel like, I don't remember what. Yes, you are. You got Fibonacci numbers running all through you. You're amazing. Now, not having touched the gifts of the Spirit and how amazing they are, but before you get the gifts of the Spirit, you should rekindle wonder. Maybe I'll speak on that. Maybe I won't. <laughs> we'll just see. Right? What's that? We're going Wonderful food. Yeah. Wow. How do you bring a meeting like this to the end? How do you finish it? What I would like to see you happen to you is that your eyes open. Where you are. Open. And look and stop and look. Where is the burning bush in your life? I can pinpoint mine three days at age 20, dried out, a corn husk. And yet God showed himself to me. All right. If you want to come to the front, I'll have you all stand. 
If you want to come to the front, any of you, and just say, Lord, forgive me for taking you for granted. Help me see you and know your word for this last day revival. The reason for that last day revival, that people go to, the, to these Messianic Jews and pull on their fringes, is because there's going to be a, a major sense of wonder to sweep over the body of believers again. And they want to know. When you talk about the prophets, talk about hunger, yes. There's going to be a hunger for more of him. For more of him. Search our hearts, O oh Lord. Quicken in us your ways that we will wonder of the marvelous things about you. Teach us your ways that we may walk in them Take your Psalm 119 if you have a chance tonight or whenever. And, and that's just at one place you can do it. If that's too long for you, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. If that's too long for you, take 117. That's the short one. And ponder it. And let God show himself to you. Find the burning bush of revelation of who God is for your life and in that your mission will become clear and frightening and fruitful. To you, O oh Lord, we give glory and honor and praise for your namesake. How marvelous are your ways! To search out your ways is the delight of kings. Wonderful. Isn't that fun? Can't be cynical and have wonder, can you? Not a lick. You got to be childlike. And I've been talking about childlikeness for a long time. And he comes in and preaches it like it's supposed to be preached. Amen. He throws a Hebrew, about 14 Hebrew words around. I was locked in. You're talking about wonder. That made me wonder. What am I doing preaching? <laughs> That's what Moses said exactly, isn't it? I know what he felt like. That fills in some blanks, doesn't it? That wonder thing fills in some blanks that God actually used wonder to bring Moses to his calling really grabbed me. That grabbed hold of me. I looked at Joy. He went, oh. <laughs> I said, yeah, let me second that. Whoa. <laughs> I remember when God called me. Oh, man, I, I, I can't do this. I was a police officer, for God's sakes. <laughs> How am I going to do this? Oh, I went to CSI school. 
What's that going to do? <laughs> I went to ABI, FBI investigator school. What am I going to do with that? You know, God's just got this great sense of humor, apparently. Jesus, I, I want to thank you for hearing God. Because I could see it create hunger in people that were beat down again. I could see people come in beat down. I could see people come in cynical. I saw cynicism and said something about it before the service. And that right there was one of the greatest warriors against cynicism I've ever heard preach. Thank you very much. That was very, that was neat. It was neat.